The Being an Engineer podcast is a repository for industry knowledge and a tool through which engineers learn about and connect with relevant companies, technologies, people, resources, and opportunities. Enjoy the show. And the, one of the hardest things to learn to say is no. You know, if you, when, you're, when you're working for a team and they come up to you and say, hey, can you go do this? Oh, yeah, I can do that. Oh, can you do this? Oh, yeah, I can do that. And before, no, before you know it, you're, you're, you've got 10 jobs on your plate when you really can only handle two or three. Hello and welcome to the Being an Engineer podcast. Our guest today is Mark Downey, who holds a degree in mechanical engineering from the Missouri University of Science and Technology. Mark started his career in the aerospace industry, then moved into automotive and then product and tool design, and currently works as an application engineer supporting SolidWorks training and troubleshooting. Mark, welcome to the show. Thank you, Aaron. It's nice to be here. So, Mark, what motivated you to become an engineer? <laughs> Good question. I um, I didn't realize I was going to be an engineer until my senior year in high school, to be honest. I um, I grew up, my, my dad was a, a machinist for Transworld Airlines, TWA, here in Kansas City. And I, I grew up with, you know, around just him being a machinist. And uh, he has actually a private pilot uh, private instructor, flying instructor as well. And so I was actually learning to fly and I started learning to fly when I was 16. And I thought, you know what? I got to my senior in high school and like, I was in drafting class. And one day I turned around to a buddy behind me. I said, what are you doing after school? <laughs> after you get out? And he says, well, I'm going to, I'm going to uh, University of Missouri Rolla. It was called at the time. And I said, Oh really? What do they do down there? And he's like engineering. I'm so it wasn't until my senior year that I really even thought about uh, what I wanted to do. Um, my uh, my mom worked for AT&T and she was working in, in an engineering group. She wasn't an engineer, but she was working in an engineering group. And uh, she was asking some of the folks down there because I liked, I kind I was, I'd been doing drafting since eighth grade. So I was getting, you know, I was good at doing, you know, back then it was all pencil and paper, you know? Yeah. So, uh, you know, it was, um, I was, I was good at drafting. I enjoyed it. I liked, you know, the outcome of that. And I, I thought about being an architectural engineer. And my mom was asking some of the folks at work and they said, nah, that's really competitive. You don't really probably don't want to go into that. I'm, okay. And I liked, I liked engineer. I like aerospace because I like flying and, um, and, uh, I liked working on things too. So it's kind of mechanical and yeah, back and forth and back and forth and aerospace is kind of niche, you know? And, um, so I said, well, mechanical and, uh, when, I applied to University of Missouri while I got accepted. And uh, so that's kind of how it started. You know, I Excellent. Didn't really know till I was a senior. Yeah. So, yeah and I stuck perfect. with it. Um, it took me five years instead of four to get through. But uh, it was, um, you know, I, it's been a great decision for me. I feel like we're, we're, we're twins or spirit animals here, Mark, because I also did not decide until my senior year what I was going to do. And it also took me five years to get through my engineering <laughs> curriculum. <laughs> and, oh, okay. And drafting was one of my, the, the, the most enjoyable classes I took in high school. I, I think I'm, I'm just barely old enough that, uh, that was a class offered when I was in high school. Um, I, I don't know, maybe they still offer it, but now it's, I'm sure it's all computer. Back when I did it, it was pencil and paper, just like yep. you. Yep. And I, I thought that was such a, a valuable class because it taught me how to visualize things in 3D. For sure. Um, I yeah, think that's, 
a, a huge skill for anyone who's in, in engineering or mechanical design. For sure, especially if you're drawing, because if you're trying to draw, you know, back back when you had to create your isometric views and, and mm-hmm. section views all manually, you you kind of had to think. You know, you were thinking 3D and then converting it in your head. So I think that's kind of why I find SolidWorks to be so intuitive. And we get more into that in a little bit, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Love SolidWorks. Uh, so you mentioned flying, and uh, I think that you are a private pilot these days. Uh, that was something that you're you kind of picked up from your dad. I yeah, my dad. Like I said, he got um, when he got on the army, he used his uh, VA bill to go get uh, his private uh, pilot's license, and then uh, went on to there to be an instructor, certified instructor, and taught for many many years. Um, we, I grew up flying. I was, I was sitting in front of the seat of an airplane before I could see over the dash. And, um, so, um, <laughs> uh, and, and with my dad being with TWA, we got to travel around a little bit as well. Uh, so, um, I kind of just, I loved flying. Um, I loved, you know, being up there. I don't get to do it too much anymore. It's, it's kind of a rich man sport, if I could say that. It, you know, you sure, kind of, yeah. you, you need to, and I don't, I don't have the extra funds or an airplane to go fly, but, uh, so it's been a long time. I'm still a private pilot, but, um, you know, your license doesn't expire, but your, your medicals do. But, um, but anyway, I, uh, I, I love doing it. I flew, you know, from, uh, like I said, from about 16 till, uh, out of, got out of college, got out of college, got married and, and then started a family and flying wasn't in the cards anymore. <laughs> sure. That, that makes sense. Something I, I, I don't fly, but something I really, uh, appreciate about flying is the, uh, the checklist, right? That, that a pilot goes through before he yep. or she takes off. And, uh, it's such a powerful tool. I love checklists. I use them all the time with my team. Do you feel like, um, from an early age, kind of being indoctrinated with these, these pilots, uh, pre-flight checklists, do you think that's, that's helped you or has there been any carryover into your engineering degree? Um, that's an interesting question. I, I think there has probably been some carryover, but yeah, the, the checklist that you go through to make sure everything's ready to go, um, they're great tools. And, um, I, I don't know that I have a man, you know, a, a physical one that I use, but certainly it's something you checklist, you know, when you're going through a design, you know, did I cover this? Did I cover this? You know, did I look at the stresses? Did I, you know, if I, if I captured the intent, you know, and all that. So yeah, I can, I can see where that probably played into it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, one of your first jobs was at McDonnell Douglas in the aerospace industry. And, uh, uh, I guess you designed a lot of sheet metal parts back then. Um, um yeah, well, actually I worked in the, I worked in the mechanical, uh, support equipment group. And so okay. we were responsible for designing equipment that was used to maintain the aircraft. Uh, you know, things for, uh, holding a landing strut in place to get it in position in the aircraft or for servicing it, uh, for loading, uh, auxiliary equipment onto the aircraft and, uh, and that kind of thing, you know, installing or removing the engines and things like that. So it was uh, support equipment more than sheet metal. So, okay. Got it. Got it. Um, another part of your role there was analyzing aircraft mechanical systems and determining the equipment required to, to test and repair them. Uh, kind of what, what you just mentioned. What, what are some of the systems that commonly require testing or, or repair and how were those repairs performed? 
one of the biggest uh, projects I had while I was there was actually one of the last ones I, when I was there was uh, work as a brake control valve for the T-45 trainer for the Navy. Um, they periodically, when they service those brake control valves, they have to put them through a series of tests to make sure that they're functioning correctly. And uh, I designed a, a, a test panel. Uh, back then, wasn't a lot of uh, – I'm hydromechanical. I'm not much electrical. So I wasn't – there. I did a – large panel layout design uh, that had hydraulic gauges and hydraulic valves for basically cycling this brake control valve through its different steps to make sure that it was working properly. So you would, you know, you'd hook it up to the system with a, you know, plug it all in and, and run it through, turn the pressures on and off, watch for resulting pressures on the other side and that kind of stuff. So uh, that's the kind of thing for, you know, specific equipment. Um, one of the other craft I worked, other craft, other aircraft I worked on was um, a flying wing that was started out to be a top secret project, but then fell through. Uh, but the wings folded up, so like on you know, some a lot of the a lot of the aircraft on I think not the F eighteen, but some of them have the wingtips fold up for air for carrier service, so that they you know they can fit them down below decks and stuff. Um, when that wing is folded up they would need to service the joint, the joints there, you know, the, the mechanisms that fold the wing up and down. So they need ways to hold that wing in place. Um, so it's a matter of looking at the structure, finding out, you know, where, where can I support this while it's in a folded position so that they can remove part of it and put it back together. So that kind of thing. That was, you know, I got to design a, a piece of equipment for holding the nose strut uh, on the, on the A-12, which was the flying wing we were working on. Um, so when they uh, wanted to remove it from the aircraft, they needed a, fixture that could grab it at the right spot, clamp onto it, hold it securely so that they could re, you know, remove the bolts from the aircraft and then lower it down and position it. They could rotate it in positions and things like that. So it was just handling equipment. Got it. Interesting. Okay. Um, so from there, you moved on to a company called Deco, where they produced engine drive systems. And you worked, I guess, a lot on power steering hose assemblies. Yeah. Um, so that was – Deco is an automotive hoses and belts uh, supplier. Okay. And, uh, and um, so I was power steering product development engineer. Um, so I got to work with Chrysler and Ford and GM and, uh, and, and help them in developing power steering hoses. And, um, back then it was a matter of, uh, so I was working in central Ohio and would travel up to Detroit just about, uh, two or three times a week, go up there and actually be on their bucks as they call them, their physical mock-ups of the vehicle engine compartment. And they would have the power steering pump where they wanted it and they'd have the gear where they wanted it. And my role working with their engineers was to help route that hose from one point A to point B. And, uh, you know, it would be, I'd be on there bending pipes by hand, um, you know, getting them into the shape we wanted to get to get from the pump to the gear. And then I would take those back and, um, uh, scan in, we used, we had a scanner, we would scan in the pipes to get the coordinates and the bends. And then, uh, and then we, we would make a, a mock-up of that with the hose and everything clamped it up and everything. And we would take it back up and make sure it fit and then documenting it from there. We also got into testing. Um, one of the neat, well, of course, with that was you know, testing of the hoses to make sure that they would stand up to the life of the vehicle. Um, uh, one of the things I found interesting in that position was, um, when you you don't you don't hear it on your vehicle because it's been tuned out but if it wasn't tuned out when you turn your steering wheel in the car you would hear the pump noise 
through the vehicle frame. It would vibrate. It would, you'll hear the moaning of the pump as you're turning the steering wheel. And um, one of the things that engineers tried to do was to get rid of that noise. And um, of course, it being a pump, it's got veins. So as it rotates, it would create a frequency. And um, there's methods of dampening that out using mechanisms inside the hose assembly to dampen out that frequency and make it quiet. And so that was an interesting aspect of that position that I got to, you know, experience. So. That is very interesting. It's something you don't think about, right? The, what, what noises are happening that I'm not hearing right now because they've, they've been engineered away. What, what, uh, tools or mechanisms did you guys use to, uh, tune that noise out? Is it like some kind of rubber padding or foam or something Actually, like that? Actually, you'd be surprised. It's a, um, it's a steel cable, a lot like a, a lot like an old, um, or what comes to mind for me is a, uh, cable that's used in speedometers. It's like the outside sheath of it. It's okay. a flexible steel cable. What they would do, or what we would do, is we would vary the length of that. So that that steel cable that has got a frequency, resonant frequency to it, depending on the length of it. So what they would try to do is the pump has got so many veins turning at so many, you know, such, such certain speeds, it's going to generate a certain frequency. You would try to find a resonant frequency in that system and then adjust the length of that interior component to a resonant frequency that would cancel out the frequencies. Oh, how interesting. There. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, I was, so this, this is like noise canceling earphones almost, right? Where you got some audio input coming in and then you have a signal that, that cancels that. Right. Uh, very interesting. Yep. Huh. And it was, it was back then it was kind of trial and error. I mean, they kind of knew the, I was working with Ford on this one and um, it was on the, uh, the Taurus actually. And, um, or no, not the Taurus, the neon. Anyway, um, the, uh, they had a mannequin that they would sit in the right seat that had audio. It was, it was specifically designed to catch audio and, um, they were using digital tape and they would, we would drive up and down this abandoned highway in the Everglades of Florida (laughs) and, uh, and, um, uh, abandoned, uh, uh, runway actually, um, up and down the abandoned runway and, and they would record the noises and, and go through maneuvers, turning the car left and right and going up and down the, the, the runway. And, uh, and then we'd go back and they would analyze that digital frequency and, and, and look for spikes in the, in the sound and the frequency and say, Oh, okay, here's a, here's a frequency here we needed. And we would adjust the cable you know, a quarter of an inch or a half of an inch or whatever, and make a new, make a new hose, pull it back up and go out and try it up and down again. So that was the process back then. So that was fantastic. <laughs> what, what a great piece of engineering there. Yeah. Well, uh, you've, you've worked in, um, automotive and aerospace, which are two of the, the major engineering industries in the world. Did you see many commonalities between the two industries or maybe even a more interesting question was what what was different about them that um maybe didn't need to be could have been applied from one to the other but just wasn't because of I don't know tradition or history. Yeah, good question. Um in the automotive industry one of the things that uh, was kind of one of my well I say one of my first introductions that I remember with that with in the automotive industry was the the CPAPs the you know the 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 testing that they go through the level of documentation you know um the just going through the the different uh processes of validating the designs um it was it's a very 
extensive process, obviously, for a vehicle. Um, it was probably there in the, in the aerospace world, but that was early in my career. I was probably a little man on the totem pole, so I didn't see <laughs> uh, a lot of those things. But um, I did actually get into, you know, um, geometric dimensioning tolerancing early on, back in, okay. uh, back in the 88, 89, 90 timeframe. Um, you know, I was trained in GD&T through through that and uh so that was one of my first introductions to that but um i didn't see a lot of that kind of testing but i'm sure it was there uh you know in the airframe area but i was not part of that world so um it, just a lot of documentation uh, in yeah. both in both arenas sure, sure. yeah yeah. How about uh, FMEAs? That's probably something That's that was, was used in, in yep. both, right? In aerospace and automotive. Uh, yeah, more so in the automotive world. They have very extensive FMEAs. That was that was the one I was thinking about when you uh, was actually was my first introduction to that was the FMEAs in the okay. automotive world. Um, I didn't see much of that in the in the aerospace world, but I'm, I'm sure it was there. <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's interesting. I've, I've worked just very, very little in automotive, but I have some experience there. And every time I have worked with an automotive customer, they always have an FMEA. And uh, certainly, uh, FEMAs are used in, uh, you know, medical and I, I assume aerospace and other industries as well, but I, I never saw it used as heavily as, as uh, apparently it's used in the automotive world. Um, I wondered, can, can you recall, I'm kind of putting you on the spot here, so if you can't think of, of an experience, that's totally fine. We'll just skip to the next question. But can you recall an experience where uh, you used an FMEA and, and it really saved your bacon, right? You guys you guys saved a lot of time and money because you identified during that FMEA that maybe you wouldn't have otherwise. Hmm, good question. I So I got experience with MF, FMEAs in the automotive world back in the 94 front time frame. And I didn't really touch FMEAs again until my last position with Hunter Douglas um, to just jump ahead of a few years. And um, I actually went and got a Lean Six Sigma uh, green belt training and uh, and we started using FMEAs there. And uh, it's probably there where we benefited more from FMEAs. The, the, my experience with them uh, was in my last position at Hunter Douglas where we were, I mean, we were designing window coverings. So um, you think, well, how critical can that be? But there are some you know safety aspects associated with uh, window coverings, you know, you definitely don't want it falling out of the window onto a consumer or anything like yeah. that. Um, you know, um, child safety and everything like that. So there's, uh, there's a lot of safety, st- safety in, in, um, parts of window coverings that the FMEA allowed us to cover. And, you know, and when you do, when you fill out an FMEA, you're thinking, you're, you're trying to think outside of the box. What, what can possibly go wrong with this system and how do we avoid it? And, uh, and that's really the benefit of it. And, uh, as far as anything specific, um, you know, it, it just, it made us think about every possible application of the window covering and, and what, you know, we just got to make sure, you know, it can't, so you can't hurt somebody. And yeah. so that, that was probably it. It just made sure that we thought of everything. Yeah. It, it's interesting that you talk about the FMEA in the context of Hunter Douglas, which like you mentioned, does kind of higher end, uh, window treatments and coverings and blinds and shutters and things like that. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, but Hunter Douglas, uh, you don't think of their products as being 
you know, life-sustaining or, or mission-critical or things like that. But really, FMEAs, they're, they're, they're a risk mitigation strategy, right? And, and there's risk inherent in any product development project. Um, so anyway, it's interesting to hear FMEAs used in, in you know, outside the typical medical or, or uh, automotive industries. Um, uh, so let's, let's dive into Hunter Douglas. You spent quite a, quite a few years there. I think it was maybe 15 years or something. Almost, almost something 14 like that. years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, for, for me anyway, mechanical engineering doesn't immediately come to mind when I think about window treatments, but that's actually not true because there's quite a bit of engineering involved in, in that industry. Um, uh, I have just a, a small taste of it. I've, I've seen how some of the inner workings uh, work in these window treatments and coverings and and there's uh, some interesting mechanisms involved you know some some uh, rack and pinion gears and motors and things like that uh, that you just you wouldn't really think about um, uh, had you not been exposed to uh, the, the details of some of these products um, can can you share a few of the more maybe challenging or, or interesting experiences or projects that that uh, um, you encountered during your time there sure um- my, I'm going to jump back just a little bit further. Hunter Douglas was my second foray into the window covering world. I actually worked for Level or Home Fashions um, back in North Carolina first, um, and um, I was my product responsibility there was metal horizontal blinds. And like you said, you wouldn't think engineering. When I first talked about when I first interviewed, I was like, "What kind of engineering do you need in window coverings?" But <laughs> um, you think about the headrails that support the the shut or the blinds in the window. That's a roll formed metal component. Well, you got to design that for for roll forming. You know, if you're making it an aesthetic piece, how do you design those features into it? Um, I didn't get into the tooling side of it, but you can imagine the tooling side that's required to roll form something like that. Um, there's a lot of design that goes into the equipment for design, you know, for rolling that type of equipment. But um, one of the neatest things about the job there, one of the biggest things I had impact there was um, child safety became important. Uh, unfortunately, the cords that raise and lower mm. shutter or raise and lower blinds are a safety hazard. And um, so um, one of the first projects I, or one of the biggest projects I got to do there was actually implementing a cordless lift system for horizontal blinds and uh, level or was one of the first ones to do it. I was actually involved with uh, bringing that product to market. And, um, and so, you know, the designing the, the balancing system in the product to be able to counterbalance. Cause if you think about a metal blind, as it, as you raise the bar, the product gets heavier, the bar, cause as you pick up each slat, it gets heavier and heavier as it goes up. So the force to raise it increases as it goes up. And, um, so the spring system that was designed um, to, to do that, uh, I, I get to be part of that. And so uh, that I'm was thinking a, something kind of similar to uh, like a garage door opener. Was it that kind of mechanism? Sim- well, similar, but a garage door opener, a garage door is a consistent load from top to bottom. I mean, it's, it's, it is what it is. The mass is okay. there, right? But so as, yours that bottom more rail, complex. as that bottom rail comes up, so the force starts out light at the bottom because when you, when you bring the system down and to the bottom, you don't want it sliding back up. Like if you think about right. a, a, a window shade, you know, if you pull a window shade down and release it, it flips up to the top and flop, 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 up at the top. Yeah, right? yeah. Um, but you don't want that to happen to your blind. You want the blind to be able, you want to be able to stop that blind, whatever position, take your hand away and it stays there. So you're Got basically it. counterbalancing that load 
explode at whatever position it is consistently from top to bottom. That sounds like a fun problem to solve. It was, it was a challenge. Um, again, I was part of the team. I didn't, I didn't conceptualize the solution, but I was part of finishing the solution and working with the suppliers to bring the product to fruition, working with them, you know, the testing and, you know, I was set up a cycle tester and ran the blinds through thousands and thousands of cycles to make sure they were going to stand up over a lifetime. And, and we you know, found design changes that we needed to make during that process and made those changes. So. Um, nice. that was one of my neat ones. Now with Hunter Douglas, uh, 14 years there in the shutter division, um, we just, we were designing shutter components and hardware. And, um, and, uh, uh, I was also part of, in that role, I was part of making sure that the systems for configuring the shutters for the f- production floor were correct, worked with the production floor to make sure that they understood what was being made, you know, checking quality there. I was involved basically from the pro, you know, from conception through delivery in some form or another. So it was, it was that a broad ranging role, a lot of great experience. I really enjoyed that position. It was, it was a great, great experience. Working with uh, shutters and blinds and window coverings. I imagine you end up working with a lot of wood as well, right? There's For the I'm shutters, sure some plastic yep. and metal, but yeah, mm-hmm. wood as well. What, what are some unique challenges associated with designing for wood mm-hmm. that you don't encounter with plastic or metal? Um, well, obviously wood, uh, is, uh, will absorb moisture. So, um, you know, con- controlling that wood so that it, uh, it doesn't, uh, warp or twist or, you know, go funky on you is, uh, is definitely a big challenge. And, um, you know, you, you use certain types of wood that, uh, you know, that will, uh, are less resistant to those types of effects, but, um, yeah, it was, uh, Definitely a challenge, and and yeah. when you think about a a, a shutter, um, you've got a, a a horizontal louver is what we was what the terms used in the industry. Um, those louvers, you know, anything's going to sag under its own weight after you get to a certain width, right? So how do you how do you shape that louver? What's the what's the best profile for that to resist sag? And and how wide can you go? And it's never wide enough for the customer. They always want it to be wider. Um so um that's the challenge is how do you how do you make something wide enough to fit the consumer's desire or, or and and still make it you know, not go you know turn turn bad on you in the window. Yeah. So. Yeah. I, I, I hear some uh uh, area moment of inertia calculations in there. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And of course, it's the wrong direction because it's a lot wider than it is. <laughs> right. you know, it's a lot, you know, a lot wider but than it's it is open. thick, and, yeah. and it's open. Yep. So. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, let's see. Well, let me take just a quick pause right here and, and share with the listeners that uh, testfixturedesign.com is where you can learn more about how my company, Pipeline, helps medical device engineering teams and other product companies who need turnkey custom test fixtures or automated equipment to assemble, inspect, characterize, or perform verification or validation testing on their devices. Uh, we're speaking with Mark Downey today, who currently works as an application engineer for Go Engineer. But before we get to that, I uh, want to have uh, just a couple more questions about your time at, at Hunter Douglas. Um, one of the things you participated in at Hunter Douglas was Kaizen events. And uh, a, a previous guest of ours, Rob Donnelly, who is just a, an amazing guy, had talked a little bit about Kaizen, Kaizen when he was on the show. And I've started learning a little bit about the philosophy since then. I wondered, can you share some of your experiences participating in Kaizen events and, and uh, maybe a few pointers or suggestions for others who want to learn about and deploy 
Kaizen strategies in their work environments? Sure. Um, so the Kaizen events that we used, uh, the way we used them at Hunter Douglas was uh, it, to improve production efficiencies. And so we would we would go to the production floor. We would be looking at um, you know the work, the flow of the product through there, where we had you know bottlenecks and things like that. So the Kaizen event was scheduled. Generally, we we would spend most of the time it was the most part of a week on site at the, at the, at each production facility. And, um, first day you'd be spent going through and, you know, just setting the process and uh, taking notes and, and looking at, you know, how many steps were they taking from this spot to that spot? You know, you know, were they, was there just, where were the inefficiencies in the process? And, uh, and then you would come back and, um, generally we would break into smaller groups. There would be a team of maybe six or eight of us. And then we would break into smaller groups and you say, okay, you're taking this part of the, the process. You're taking this part of the process. And, um, I mean, everything from floor plan, floor layout, machine layout, you know, everything that w- was up on the table for doing this. And you would uh, study it and, and try to see what could be done better. And a lot of times we were out there um, the next day or, or two days later, moving, moving process, moving equipment around, moving things around, changing the flow to where, you know, we noticed that this person's having to take 10 steps from here to there and they only need to take, they don't need to take any if we move this over to here. So it's a matter of, just looking at that process and, and figuring out where, how things could be better. Um, so uh, just on the floor, looking at it. And, uh, and at the end of the week, then we would take, go back and say, okay, you know, it was taking 20 minutes before to make this shutter. And now we're doing it in 10, you know, and that's the kind of thing we're looking for. So that, did you ever watch the movie? I think the, the name of the movie was the founder about McDonald's and Ray Kroc. No, I think I have. It was a great movie, but uh, I'm reminded of it now because uh, towards the beginning of the movie, it it shows um, the founders drawing out on a basketball court in chalk outline the the positions of all the different elements within the restaurant. So, or behind the counter, anyway. You know, the stoves were here, the the hamburgers were there, the the buns were here, the condiments were there, the um, uh, cash registers were here and and then they they would climb up you know on a ladder and look from a bird's eye view down on this chalk outline that they'd drawn and then they'd bring their employees in and say okay do your thing pretend you're at work and uh they'd they'd study it and they'd say okay we're gonna change this and move the stove there and move the condiments here okay do it again do your jobs and and they'd watch from this bird's bird's eye view and i didn't i didn't really make that connection until just now but that was that was kaizen what they were doing back then it's exactly what they were doing it was fantastic yeah interesting (laughs) i have to look at that one (laughs) yeah it it was a great movie outside of the the fun engineering parts okay um Let's see. So, so currently you work as an application and support engineer at Go Engineer, where you assist customers with SolidWorks training and troubleshooting. Um, tell me what, what prompted you to take a job away from design and, and move into the, the training realm of the industry? Well, um, I've been doing engineering, so like I said, since 1988, so 32 years now. Long time. Um, I um, was kind of looking at doing a retirement. <laughs> okay. <laughs> to be honest. Um, we had the, my wife and I had the opportunity to move to this farm in Northwest Missouri that we inherited. And, um, 
we got the last of our four kids off on their own and it's like, you know what, let's go have some fun. So, uh, the farm had been sitting vacant. It's been in my family since uh, 1900. Um, uh, my grandpa and my dad were both raised here and we wanted to take and go up here and, and restore it. So, um, but I've been using SolidWorks since 1997. I actually taught SolidWorks back in 1997. SolidWorks came out in 95. So it was brand new back in wow. 97. Yeah. And, um, so I got I got the opportunity to actually work for a reseller back then, back in North Carolina, and I I was doing tech support and demos and and uh, training, and and I I love using SolidWorks. I I just it's just I found it to be very intuitive and it's a tool that I love to use. Um, I, I've been using it through the 14 years at Hunter Douglas, and um, when I left there, I wanted my own seat, and so I contacted the reseller here in Kansas City that sell SolidWorks and it happened to be the same reseller that we were using at Hunter Douglas. Oh, interesting. And um, I said, oh, that's interesting. You guys are just getting here. You guys got, I didn't know you had offices in Kansas City and uh, and they, they recently had just set up offices. I'm like, oh, well, and since I'd been in this role before, I said, do you have an application engineer in the Kansas City area? He says, no, we don't. Hmm. This could be an <laughs> interesting. This aligned. could be an interesting job, you know. <laughs> so um, I ended, I ended up applying for the job, um, and with my experience and my past experience, I was a good asset for uh, the reseller at the time. It was called Decide Solutions. Um, Decide Solutions was acquired by, and Decide Solutions have been around for. 20 some years as well. Um, they were, uh, ended up getting acquired by go engineer in August of uh, 2018. And, um, uh, yeah. And so, um, excuse me, I started in August of 2018. They got acquired in August of 2019. Um, so that's how I got to become with go engineer. Um, I, I, I love using SolidWorks. Uh, it's a tool that I find very intuitive. Um, it, it's so powerful. It, it just, the things you can do with it are incredible. People are designing just all sorts of stuff. And I enjoy helping other people figuring out if it, I do, I wear a couple of roles. One is this tech support where somebody is trying to do something and SolidWorks isn't working. Uh, it's not doing, you know, it's either not doing what they wanted to, or it's, it's crashing. It's not doing what they, you know, it's, it's something's failing. So I'll get involved with the tech support side to help them troubleshoot what's going on. And I can be anywhere from, I am a certified SolidWorks expert, CSWE. And I'm also a certified PDM specialist. I'm a certified instructor, um, among others. So, um, it, I love going in there and helping people troubleshoot, whether it be a PDM thing isn't working right or whether uh, they're trying to do a specific loft in a, in a model and it's not working right. Um, but I also uh, do mentoring. So one of the roles, that, or one of the benefits that Go Engineer offers is uh, mentoring. Um, so if somebody wants to learn how to do something, they can go to our website, they can look in a list and say, oh, there's Mark. And they can click on my calendar and say, oh, he's available at this time. And it puts a spot on my calendar. And I spend 30 minutes to an hour working with a customer trying to model something. They're trying to model a specific manifold and they, you know, they just don't know how to make it work like they wanted to. And um, so that's the kind of role that I'm doing now. And I also do PDM implementations. Um, I'm, I help people uh, set up PDM and, uh, and help them manage their data. So um, multiple hats. I love the role. I love the capability. It's, it's a job that it, uh, allows us to work remote, which is, in my case, is terrific because I get to live yeah. on my 188-acre farm here in the middle of nowhere, Missouri, and, uh, and <laughs> still do a job that uh, is, is beneficial to people. And, and that's what that's I really fantastic. like about it. Uh, well, working in such a support role, I'm sure that you've learned 
uh, quite a few tips and tricks with SolidWorks that, that the rest of us could probably um, or should know about. Can you share a few best practices that that would be useful for other mechanical designers? Or, or uh, maybe another way of asking it is what are one or two SolidWorks-related tools that most of us don't know that we really should know? <laughs> oh, gosh, there's a lot of them. Um Save often. <laughs> uh, the S key is your favorite. It should be your favorite key when you're sketching. The S key, um, the the S -S -key, -S -key. for bringing up sketches. Um, simulation is something that comes with SolidWorks. There's three different levels of SolidWorks. Um, the premium and professional versions both have Simulation Express, and um, an engineer should be familiar with, even if they're not. And I'm not an F. I'm not a you know, finite element analysis. I'm not a, a stress uh, related person. So when it comes to analyzing those, it's still a good tool to use to just get familiar with, you know, you're, you're designing something and you want to see, you know, you put it under what you expect the loads to be and see what, where it stresses. And um, you can do that with simulation express and not have to be a full blown, you know, stress analyst to be able to do that. So that's something that a lot of people don't use that I think, you know, would be very helpful. Um, Something I'm getting into more these days that I haven't used much in the past is the routing capabilities. If you're trying to oh, route, okay. if, you're designing, if you're designing a, a system and you're having to route pipes or, or wires oh. from one point to another, SolidWorks is very, has very neat tools for doing that. And if you haven't looked at routing, I'd highly recommend you know, taking a look at some of those tools. And is the is the routing in the standard license, or is that also just premium, the professional premium and premium? Professional, yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. So... Um, of course, data management can't, you know, you, you should always have a data management background. Um, and when I started at Hunter Douglas, um, I was a one man show. I was the engineer for the shutter division and um, I didn't implement a PDM system back then because probably selfishly from my standpoint, I knew how to manage the files in SOLIDWORKS. So I didn't have a problem with that. Um, but as in not having the foresight to understand that as you, as a company grows and you add people, you need to have control over that data. You need people to visualize it. So um, we didn't implement PDM until late in the game there. And uh, it's something that should have been should have been implemented from day one. So I think, you know, even one man shows when they come, when, they, when you're starting out a company or starting out your group, small group, if you're using SOLIDWORKS, you should be using PDM too. Um, just to put a little bit of a sales spin in it. Um, you know, it, 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 it is something that should be used. It, it's great for managing your files. It's great for keeping control of them. And, uh, and as you grow, uh, it's a lot easier to have something in place from the start and, uh, and grow with it than it is to try to implement it when you've got gigabytes of files that you have to try to control. So that makes sense. Um, so yeah, lofting, uh, surfacing. If you haven't, if you haven't used surfacing in SOLIDWORKS, that's a great tool to use too. Um, surfacing has a lot of power to, to create geometry that you otherwise would fight a lot with making, um, uh, using sketches. I mean, you still use sketches to drive it, but, um, you know, a solid body has to be fully enclosed. It has to be watertight, uh, to be a, to be a solid and surfaces don't have to do that. So you can create surfaces and cut and knit them together to sometimes create things that you wouldn't otherwise, you know, you'd struggle a lot to do with, with regular sketches. So surfacing, if it's not something you've explored, that's a good tool to use too. Uh, let me ask you about your certifications. I mean, surfacing, you have a certification for that. You have uh, pretty much every SolidWorks certification that exists. If, not quite, if I'm, but. <laughs> our research, yeah. Um, uh, 
to what extent do you think that studying for and passing these exams has has increased your capability as a mechanical design engineer um uh, were you to go back into you know a, a design role um so i've gotten all those certifications since i started with uh back into this role in 2018 so in, since then is is where i've acquired all those certifications i um I guess my path through industry has kind of been somewhat steady in that I didn't move around a lot. Um, I've had, you know, five, six positions over those, over those 32 years. Um, so I didn't go out and seek certifications myself back then, but as I got, as I got into a managerial role and started looking for engineers and looking for that, I was looking for those certifications. So um, it's, it's, I think it's important if you're going into a role and you want to be there and be productive for a company, um, it's going to, it's going to be good for them to know that, Hey, I, I know how to use hours. I've got my CSWE or CSWA or CSWP. Um, you know, I, I know how to use SOLIDWORKS. I know the tools. And it means a lot to see that. Having been through the certifications and seen the testing that's involved, if somebody comes to me and says, I got my CSWP, I don't have to ask them if they know how to use SOLIDWORKS. If they, if, you know, if, they don't, if they don't come to me with those, then I'm kind of wondering, you know, how much do they really know about SOLIDWORKS? You know, yeah, you've yeah. used it, but do you really know how to use it? And so um, it, it's really good if you're wanting to, if you're, if you're looking for a position where you're going to be using SOLIDWORKS, I think it's very important to have those certifications. And, and, um, and how much time should should the average mechanical designer expect to spend studying for and, and taking these certification exams? I mean, is each one you know just a few hours, or is it a few weeks of studying and preparing? Um, using the software is definitely important. Um, experience behind the behind the wheel, if you will, is is going to be helpful. And so, um, I would spend the, you know a couple of weeks or a month or two, maybe, just uh, going through designing stuff. Um, a lot of college students, a lot of colleges are teaching SolidWorks these days, and a lot of college students come out with their CSWA, which is their associates. Um, it's not too far of a step to go from there to CSWP. There's three exams. So if you were going to do it, you know, you'd want to study, um, go through the, the, go through the, um, the tutorials that come with SOLIDWORKS. Um, there's also on the My SOLIDWORKS website, there's training available, uh, for, uh, if, if you've got a, a subscription to go in there and, and take the, you know, take some of the classes for the CSWP. So I, mean, I would go through those if you're wanting to achieve those certifications to look for those exams. Uh, okay, online. great. Yep. Great. Well, um, what are, what are some of the biggest problems that you encounter at work? In this role? Hmm. And if nothing comes to mind specifically for this role, feel free to expand that question to, your general career history? Oh, uh, let's see. Um, I guess in general, time management, when I think about past positions, time management is, uh, you know, is always you know, fun trying to make sure you, you schedule enough time to get the job done. Um, don't overcommit. You know, it's, you always want to feel like you're being part of the team, but it, and one of the hardest things to learn to say is no. You know, mm. if you, when you're, when you're working for a team and they come up to you and say, Hey, can you go do this? Oh yeah, I can do that. Oh, can you do this? Oh yeah, I can do that. And before, no, before you know it, you're, you're, you've got 10 jobs on your plate when you really can only handle two or three. Um, so learning how to say no is probably one of the biggest challenges I think. <laughs> That's for great anybody. advice. I love that. Yeah. Um, you know, you can say, you don't have to be 
bad about it. You know, right. No, I can't do that. Church. But yeah. you can certainly say, you know what, I'd love to help you out, but I've got so much stuff going on right now. And, and, then, they, and then they can understand. And, and management, I think a lot of times will kind of miss that. If, if, if they've got somebody who's willing to take things on and on and, and never say no, they'll, they'll just keep piling things on. And, uh, and then you start missing deadlines and you're like, well, why'd you miss deadline? Well, because I've got so many things. Well, you should have said something early on. So if you're saying, you know, Hey, I've got this working on now, um, then it kind of helps schedule things out. So I think learning how to understand what your workload is and, uh, and understand what you can get done in a certain amount of time, which comes with experience, um, is, is definitely a good, a good challenge. Great advice. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. Sure. Well, Mark, I should let you go, but thank you so much for for spending this time. Um, before before we end, how can people get a hold of you? Through my work uh, email, it's mdowney at goengineer.com. Uh, that's probably a good way to get a hold of me uh, for any questions you may have, and um, I can respond via that way. And and if we want to come stay at your farm in Missouri, how do we do that? <laughs> Hit me up and we'll talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair enough. Well, Mark, thank you so much for spending some time with us today. My pleasure, Aaron. Have a great day. It's nice, nice speaking with you. I'm Aaron Moncur, founder of Pipeline Design and Engineering. If you liked what you heard today, please leave us a positive review. It really helps other people find the show. To learn how your engineering team can leverage our team's expertise in developing turnkey custom test fixtures, automated equipment, and product design, visit us at testfixturedesign.com. Thanks for listening.